The wildlife and its habitat cannot speak, so we must, and we will. You're listening to the Conservation Federation of Missouri podcast. Here's Executive Director Brandon Butler. It's hard to believe that there was a time in Missouri when the wild turkey wasn't as populous as it is today. But a lot of research and work went into bringing this species back, and I'm sitting here with one of the men directly responsible for that, Mr. John Lewis. He was the third turkey biologist in the state of Missouri, held that job for 31 years. And those of us that enjoy hunting turkey today, we owe this man a tip of our cap. So, (laughs) John, I'm glad you came on and sat down with us today. Well, to be quite honest, it was a fun job. I really enjoyed it. Somebody asked me why I was doing this, and I said, well, I do it for the one Gallus turkey hunter because they they don't get the recognition that some of the other hunter, hunting species do, and you've got to, to manage a species. You've got to be able to understand what the hunter is up against, and so that's why I was an avid turkey hunter. Not very good, but avid. I really enjoyed working on the wild turkey. It was a fun project. Now, I understand that you were born and raised in Missouri. How did your outdoor love begin? Well, I grew up with a father who loved to quail hunt and a grandfather on a farm up in Sullivan County near a little town called Newtown where I was born. I wanted to be a quail biologist, but at that time, quail were pretty scarce in Missouri, and they started coming back during the Second World War. A fellow by the name of Jack Stanford was a quail biologist then, and then we had a severe drought in the summer of... 1952, 53, and knocked the quail back. But anyway, they came back, and and now they're gone again. So, But that was my real first love, quail hunting. And I didn't see a wild turkey until I was in graduate school at the university in wildlife graduate school. And that was down on Carmen Springs Refuge in Douglas County. The refuge manager was by the name of Ray Woodring. And Ray and I trapped turkeys later on on the refuge after I'd gotten gotten a job with the department. It was kind of funny. I went to work with the department in 52, and I inherited a job that a fellow left going somewhere else called cover restoration. And I was one of the people who planted multiflora rose and Sharisha Lespedeza. <laughs> <laughs> And now you're trying to eradicate them. And, and uh, of course, we were trying to do that to restore cover and in places and build a living fence and all that kind of fun stuff. But that didn't pan out very well. I mean, farmers began to dig it up, you know, and before we really understood why they didn't like it, they'd pretty much done away with the program. So, and then... Interestingly enough, the wildlife division chief was a fellow by the name of Paul Tolenko at the time I was working. And Paul and I got to be pretty good friends. And and this job opening came about because the fellow that was the turkey biologist at that time in 1954 was by the name of Ken Sadler. Ken's still alive. He still lives here in Columbia. They had an opening for a refuge manager at Peck Ranch. So they moved Ken. I'm not sure whether Ken wanted to move or not, but they moved Ken to Peck Ranch, and that left the turkey job open. Well, Paul Tolenko asked me if I wanted to be the turkey biologist and moved to Columbia. I was living in Cameron at that time, and I said, sure. So that was the start of it. You didn't have a whole lot to work with back in the time. I hear numbers. Supposedly we had... 
less than 5,000 turkeys at the time. Ken, Ken Sadler had followed up on some statewide surveys. It was started, the program was started by Starker Leopold in 1942. And in 52, we had probably about 2,300 wild turkeys in the state in 19 counties. So, yeah, there weren't very many turkeys. We were trying trying to learn how to trap them, and Cannon started using a cannon net, which was a project developed by the waterfowl people. Herb Dill of, of the Fish and Wildlife Service up at Swan Lake developed the cannon net project to capture ducks and geese. And a fellow by the name of, oh, I can't think of his name, but he was a biologist for the Fish Forest Service back in South Carolina at Francis Marion Wildlife, National Wildlife Refuge, caught the first turkeys with the cannon net in 1950. Well, Ken Sadler caught turkeys in Missouri in 1953, the spring of 19, or maybe it was four. And it was a, it was kind of interesting how that developed. I watched an old gobbler laying flat on his back, taking his feet and poking holes in the net that we had at the time. And it was a cotton net, and we finally went to nylon nets, lighter and everything else, and much more successful. So, yeah, we had to learn how to catch turkeys with the cannon net. And after we got that mastered, why then it was a matter of getting people interested in protecting turkeys, seeing if they would go in their neighborhood. And that program was kind of worked around through the news and outlets. The conservation agents would go out and ask somebody if they were interested in wild turkeys. And we pretty soon had more more release sites available than we could catch. And during that period of time from 1954 until 1975, when we really stopped the restocking program, I think we trapped 2,500 turkeys and released them in 91 sites throughout the state. Where, where was most of the trapping taking place? Trapping was taking place in South Missouri, Peck Ranch, Iron County, down at Arcadia. The department had some land down there. The Forest Service had land down there called uh, Buford Mountain. And a guy by the name of Paul did a lot of the trapping. But it was it was a slow process to start with. We had a good year, 50 turkeys to transplant. The first transplant went in St. Genevieve County, south of St. Louis, in 1955. And that was kind of our bellwether county. We kind of watched that county because that was the first question that people would ask you. How long after we get turkeys are we going to be able to hunt them? And we, of course, didn't have an answer at that time. And so we were watching St. Genevieve County. And by the time the turkey population got to, to be a couple of hundred birds in that county, which was about five years, we figured people could hunt them. So we opened the season trying to get a handle on poaching. You know, we figured if we allowed some of these poachers a, a regular season to hunt, then they wouldn't go shoot turkeys out of season. Anyway, that seemed to work for a while, and we had an effort to go to the commission with a request to open the turkey season in 1957. And they laughed at us. <laughs> Said, 
one of the facts that I tried to use to persuade the commissioners was that there are more adult gobblers needed in the population. Keep We can always spare a few because the population only depends on one meeting with one, one gobbler. One of the old commissioners said, that's not thinking very well of old commissioners and old gobblers. But anyway, fall of 59, the commission agreed to allow us a turkey season in the spring of 1960. Three half-day hunt, and it was only opened in 14 counties. And <laughs> we had one of the worst snows in 1960, this winter of 1960 that we'd ever had in Missouri lasted for a month, about 18 inches. And everybody's saying, well, boy, the turkeys will be thin as rails. Turned out they were fine, survived the winter just fine. And the hunters harvested six, about 700 hunters harvested uh, 94 turkeys that first three days. And department personnel weren't allowed to hunt that first season. Anyway, so we kept it at three days and then gradually increased it, worked it up to 1972 or 73, increasing it to a week. And then we went to two weeks with two birds. And jumping into the two-bird season created quite a bit of concern about the fact that we'd shoot all the gobblers. Well, about 70% of the turkeys are killed by 30% of the hunters. What we were trying to do is to allow, we made sure that at least some of the hunters got a chance the second week to have a turkey left out there to hunt. And so we restricted the hunting pressure to one bird per week. You shot a bird the first day, and then you couldn't hunt until the next week. That seems to work out pretty well. We've had a pretty good population carryover over the years. I think what's happened is that the immediate swelling of the population occupying unoccupied habitat is over, and now we're just seeing regular, regular increments of birds. Well, I'd say you guys did a good job. We went from killing ninety some birds to forty five thousand some birds. Today. Oh yeah. Well, I think it was up over fifty thousand one year. Yeah, I think forty five last year. Yeah, yeah, that's still number one or number two in the nation. I know Wisconsin's right up there with us. Wisconsin got Missouri turkeys. That's those right. Are, those are Missouri turkeys. Well, that's interesting because the wild turkey to me really is the prime example of conservation in my generation. Growing up in the 1980s and 1990s in northern Indiana, there were no turkeys. I'll never forget when I saw my first turkey down in Newton County, Indiana. And it was a, a small flock of hens and yeah. they were coming through the woods. I thought it was the biggest buck coming <laughs> I've ever seen and turns out to be turkeys. And that was just a magical moment. And Oh, I yeah. didn't kill my first turkey until I was living in Montana, but now I've killed a number in Indiana and Missouri and really took to it later in life because the species wasn't available sure. in, in my early years. But what an incredible story. And I know a lot of that has to do with kind of a, a public-private partnership and the National Wild Turkey Federation came on as a major player in the restoration of that species. How did they work with you and hand-in-hand here well, in Missouri? 
I was kind of opposed to the National Wild Turkey Federation at first. I said, we don't need any more turkey hunters. Just They'll be attracted to the sport as it grows. But then I got my views changed, and it came about that by raising a little money, the, the turkey, turkey hunter groups could help improve habitat and help help young turkey hunters. So the Superfund project that I'm going to take a little credit for getting that started was that, okay, uh, a chapter of the Turkey Federation raises money. They can't spend it, shouldn't spend it by themselves on an individual project. They ought to have the state turkey biologist identify the project that was needed and so that's how that kind of started, and I think that's worked out very well. A lot of money has been turned into habitat, youth programs, coordination with the Forest Service. Yeah, Turkey Federation has had a good effect on turkey population. Yeah, Jason Isabel, the current turkey biologist, and I yeah. we sit on the, the state board of directors as partners, as mm-hmm. guests. So I, I get to watch some of those super fun dollars being allocated it really is impressive how, how that organization has sure. such an impact across so many different aspects of hunting. Not not just the, the actual hunting of the turkeys, but the habitat development, the development of young hunters working with disabled hunters through the Wheeling Sportsman's Program. It's an entire culture based around the wild turkey. Oh, yeah, the one gallus turkey hunter. <laughs> I know another another big achievement was moving turkeys into north Missouri. Now, first, our turkeys native to north missouri oh yes they were native native to every county in the state so why was there some belief that they wouldn't take in the north well i guess lack of habitat many of those counties in north missouri have less than 15 percent forested cover i guess i'm responsible for being a foot dragger a little bit on stocking in north missouri we stocked down in warren county and in the Late 50s, 56, 57, 58, early 60s. And that was about as far north as we thought we could go. Well, a fellow, a gentleman by the name of, oh, I can't think of his name right now. He was a state senator, and he he got to with uh, Grossnickel, uh, Skip Grossnickel. Uh, that's his son. He lives here in Columbia, I think. Shags Grossnickel. Yeah, I think he's still alive. But he approached the commission and wanted to release turkeys up near Kirksville. And so with that kind of power, I couldn't say no. And so they, they went ahead, and I wasn't really in charge of the turkey release program anyway. I, I moved from turkey releasing to turkey research. And this was in 1960-61, I think. They released uh, turkeys up Thousand Hills State Park which is kind of north and west of Kirksville, not very far. And that was in 61. And one of the things that I'm going to take credit for was that we didn't open a county to hunting until the agent in that county felt like he had enough turkeys in his county to open it. And usually that would be in the neighborhood of three to four or five years. He just passed away, uh, Bill Lawton the agent for a long time in Kirksville in Adair County. He was he was conservative. He didn't want to open it up too soon. 
And I think the first year that they opened Kirksville or Adair County to turkey hunting, they shot 35 or 40 turkeys the first year. And that was like in 1968 or 69, something like that. But anyway, turkeys took off in North Missouri. Yeah, they sure did. I've got a, a good friend, Rudy Raceline. He's got a, a large farm just outside of Unionville, and I know NBC yeah. is doing a lot of their trappings on that farm now to study oh, yeah. North Missouri turkeys, and he's got a herd of them. you got to be careful. They'll run you over and carry you away. There's, and one of those pit cornfields oh, sure. gets just inundated with them and looks like a bunch of brown pumpkins out there. Yeah, yeah, around. yeah. So when did you know that it was going to take off and work in North Missouri? Well, I think Kirksville was the key, key issue there. And we'd released turkeys on Deer Ridge uh, Conservation Area, which which is up in Clark County. They took started taking off there and Shelby County. Birds took off there. Macon County. We turned turkeys loose in Macon County, Livingston County. We were able to, after we kind of got South Missouri taken care of, there were a few places we stocked in South Missouri, but we were able to put a bunch of turkeys in North Missouri in a hurry. Well, like a county up at north of Cameron, Missouri, a little town called Maysville is the, the county that my wife grew up in, uh, DeKalb County, and you go up there and look around and you said, where are the trees? And probably 10 or 15% timber in the whole county, and yet they shoot 600 turkeys. That's because they know where they're roosting. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it took, oh, maybe four or five years to figure out that North Missouri was going to be a good spot. And, and I was pleading for turkeys, and they came down and looked at where we were shooting turkeys in North Missouri and said, well, we've got some turkey habitat that would work up the, in southern Iowa. And it even went on up into Minnesota. So we released turkeys, I mean, exchanged turkeys to, oh, I don't know, probably 15 or 16 states for several combinations of things like rough grouse, uh, prairie chickens, muskies. I don't know what all, but they came to us to get their turkeys. And Wisconsin is probably the, the premier state in terms of numbers of turkeys that resulted from their exchange of grouse. So Missouri turkeys are really the brood stock of... Turkeys in a lot of places. Yeah. Lots of places. Indiana, for example. How was the the public sentiment back in that time about capturing turkeys and trading them out of state? Oh, uh, there was some, nothing like the riots in St. Louis. Oh, there was some people that didn't care for it too much. I mean, they felt like, why take turkeys that we've worked so hard to get back and give them away? Well, after they realized that they were shooting, say, 100 or 200 or 300 turkeys in in their county, 10 or 12 wouldn't make any difference. So you had to kind of smooth that over a little bit, do a little public relations work, it didn't. It didn't really upset it the apple cart too much. Yeah, I think what you just said there is an important note. As a biologist, you're trying always to work on what the science tells you to do. 
Sure. But at the same time, you've got a loud and vocal public at times. As a turkey biologist, how did you balance having to to do what you knew was right scientifically and also work with the public and try to keep them appeased? Well, like uh, I think somewhere Aldo Leopold wrote that uh, many wildlife management is 10% wildlife management and 90% people management. You get to the point where you're probably more of a PR person than you are a biologist in many cases. Oh, yeah, you'd go to public meetings and, and answer more questions about why are we doing this and uh, that sort of thing than about actual turkey numbers and, and so forth. The agents did a very good job in this. Of course, I couldn't be in all the counties, and, and uh, I didn't make a lot of meetings during that early period of time. It got to the point where people pretty much, after we were shooting in the 30,000 numbers, people thought, well, why we're not missing, going to miss 15 or 20 turkeys sending send them to Kentucky. Kentucky was another state that received a lot of turkeys from Missouri. We also got otters. <laughs> they traded, I don't know what they traded to, or maybe they just bought them with Louisiana. We sent turkeys to Louisiana, turkeys to Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. So I think probably most of the states around Missouri, Nebraska got some Missouri turkeys, Kansas got some Missouri turkeys. They had some eastern, had some real grand turkeys in the western part of Kansas, but the easterns went right up along the Missouri River, the hills country along the Missouri River. Changing course, I guess, a little bit. You just said something that made me think. Can you describe the difference in the species, the subspecies? I mean, I, I know the difference in a little coloration, the Miriams with the wider tail, but are there other biological differences between the eastern and the Rio and the Miriams and all that that you can speak to? Well, <laughs> I suppose if I were had been more of a avid turkey hunter, I was I was a turkey hunter. I would have known more about the differences between the various species. Uh, one thing I do know that the Rio Grande and the Miriams are not as wary. I mean, I had a friend that I went turkey hunting with out, and we were hunting in Arizona. He shot a turkey after he called it up. The gun misfired. He broke the gun open, put a shell in it. The turkey was still standing there, so he shot it. They were just not as wary. Of course, this could have been because the turkeys hadn't been around people very much in some of that country. Physically, not a lot of difference. Not a lot of difference between the subspecies. Yeah, I'm working on uh, getting all six subspecies. That's going to be an expensive mount by the time I'm done with it, you know. Oh, yeah. But I've got three of them. I've got the Merriams, the Eastern, and the Oscillated. So I'm hopefully going to go to Florida and chase the Osceola here in the spring. But the Oscillated, they, you know, I, I've heard different reports. One, that it is actually a subspecies of the wild turkey, and then also that it's not. I I think it is. I think it is. Maybe a distant relative. It sure is different looking. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was one of the neatest experiences ever, though, going down into the Yucatan jungle and, and hunting those oh, oscillated turkeys. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to hear them sing. They say that's one of the big differences. Instead yeah. of gobbling, they'll 
they'll sing and hopefully on a return trip someday to do that. Oh, sure, sure. I know uh, John McRoberts gets down there quite a bit and studies them and, and seems to know quite a bit about the biology of them. Wow. He moved on from being one of Glenn Chambers' otter boys to, to <laughs> being the oscillated turkey expert. Oh, I'll be darned. I just didn't have the desire, really. I figured, you know, I'm happy with just shooting a, a, an eastern turkey in Missouri. I have killed Miriams on a wilderness area in Arizona that I had to backpack in and backpack it out. <laughs> that was something. I couldn't carry the gear and the turkey out at the same time. Oh, it was a pretty good-sized gobbler. I mean, for a Miriams, it probably weighed 17 or 18 pounds. And I probably had a 50-pound pack, so we were about five miles in, so I walked out with my gear five miles, five miles back with the turkey. So I walked an extra 10 miles for that turkey. I think I might have breasted them out, just taking the breasts out with Well, I, I suppose that might have been all right, but we didn't have any place to, to cook it at that time. Yeah. We, we did do that later on. We were over in New Mexico. Did that shot the turkey, cooked it. Terry Little, who is a turkey biologist for Iowa, and he's he's retired now. And he and I went turkey hunting together quite a bit in Arizona and met the Arizona biologists out there. I wasn't very successful in Arizona. I did shoot a turkey in Arizona, not very successful outside of Missouri. And I've heard that if you can be successful in the Missouri Ozarks, you can be successful anywhere. They say well, these turkeys are some of the hardest to kill in the country. Uh, that's, I'll take credit for that. <laughs> My uncle came down last year and he said, man, forget about these ninja turkeys. I'm going to go back to Indiana and kill a cornfield turkey. <laughs> Well, I hunted basically my hunting. I grew up hunting in Iron County, down in the one of the counties that still had a few wild turkeys left before we started trapping and transplanting. Yeah, I can I can account for that. Who were some of the great turkey hunters of the day? Today we've got Ray I and Alex Rutledge and a few of these guys I know around the state. But who were their predecessors? Who were the who were the turkey hunters that stood out back in in the early days? Well, one of the turkey hunters that I know of that I've hunted with is a guy by the name of uh, Bob McAnally, who was a turkey biologist and then turned into a game management biologist for Arkansas. Can't think of too many just right off the top of my head. Once, Jerry Once from Pennsylvania was a good turkey hunter. He started, it was kind of interesting that Pennsylvania had had a turkey season for a long time, but it was a fall season. And then they, after we got a, a spring season, they kind of copied our timing of, of the season, you know, and so forth. He shot a lot of turkeys. Wayne Bailey, who was a turkey biologist for Pennsylvania and North Carolina for a while, was a, was a, probably the most bloodthirsty turkey hunter that I know of. He, he shot a lot of turkeys. One of the commissioners from Arkansas, Federation commissioners, uh, Gene Denton, was a very good turkey hunter. Hmm. And most of the fellows that were in the Turkey Federation, like uh, old Rob Keck, Carl Brown, these are guys that got fired. And I think maybe they 
got fired because they were turkey hunting too much. No, I don't think that was the reason, but they were good turkey hunters. Good turkey hunters. I guess let's change course a little bit and talk more about just being at the department in an era where you were really getting some things done. What was it like being part of that generation, and what are some of the highlights from that time for you? Brandon, I guess working at the time that I worked, you weren't really cognizant of what you were accomplishing. I mean, you didn't really see the big picture at that time and what was happening. We knew that we were restoring turkeys, which was a which was a real plus. But then we had so many other things we wanted to, like rough grouse. We wanted to restore rough grouse and uh, bring quail back. The fellows that I worked with in the sixties, fifties, sixties, and seventies, that was kind of a golden era for things being accomplished. Bringing deer back was another big plus. They had been kind of back since the early 40s, but uh, not to the extent that they were later in the 50s and 60s. So yeah, we had we had a group of guys that maybe it was because we were the first to get involved, and it makes it tougher for the guy coming, coming behind to take up something new to accomplish, but uh, no, it was a great job. I'm not sure I could do anything else now. And anyway. Who was the director when you came on? I.T. Bodie. So still the first director. He was the first director, I.T. Bodie. What was he like? Well, he was a very stern man. I didn't... The relationship between field personnel and the directors wasn't all that great. I mean, you just didn't get to go into the director's office and say... How are you today, Mr. Bodie? He wasn't that way. He wasn't uh, a people person to speak. He had a he had an assistant called Mel Steen. Mel Steen was in charge of fishing game, and and he's a great big guy. And he was he was more approachable. You could go talk to Mel and say, "Well, we're going to do this." But when I went to start talking about turkey seasons, I was turned down just practically every place. And the only person that really gave me any hope was a guy by the name of Harold Terrell. And Harold Terrell was uh, in charge of management, uh, wildlife management on several of the southern refuges. Bill Crawford, he he would, wouldn't say no, but he wouldn't say yes. Now, that's, was, now that's a people person, Bill Crawford. He he was protecting himself. He wasn't going to get off out on a limb someplace and get it sawed off. But yeah, no. Bill and I got along fine. We we had a good time together. Was he your manager at one point? He was my supervisor. All right. From the day I moved to Columbia in 1954 until he retired in '84, he was my supervisor for for 30 years. Wow. Great guy. We grouse hunted together. We turkey. He couldn't sit still turkey hunting, though. I, I took him turkey hunting down in Iron County. No, it never going to work. Never going to work. Who were some of the other biologists of that era that you worked with? Well, I mentioned Ken Sadler. Ken Sadler was the, when he came to Columbia after leaving Peck Ranch, he assumed uh, the role as pheasant biologist. Pheasant and then dove and rabbit. 
Uh, Leroy Corsigan was a person that I worked with a lot in, in terms of food habit studies. Leroy was a, an expert nationwide in determining what species of plants animals were using, particularly quail, grouse, and I always had a fun fun thing with Leroy. He, we lived or worked in a little dormitory over on the corner of Michelle and Williams down across from the vet school uh, back in the 60s. And it wasn't until 1970, spring of 70, that we moved over there on the corner of College and, and 740. And anyway, we had, Leroy and I shared an office telephone. We had a little door that we looked, could look for. And he kept poking me and saying, what do you, what do you think this is? And it was a piece of bittersweet orange, and I, I just happened to come up with it. And he had piddled around with that for a long time before he finally identified that rough grouse ate bittersweet. And it, we we had that kind of relationship for a long time. But Don Christensen, who is the prairie chicken biologist, and I were good friends. He was also the squirrel biologist. And uh, Frank Sampson <laughs> was a fur bear biologist back in those days. And Frank and I took a float trip together looking for wood ducks. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the rear of the canoe, and I jumped out and pulled the canoe up on the bank and dumped him. <laughs> the canoe got on the, the keel, and he moved, and it, it flipped flipped him, and the water wasn't very deep, but he, he liked to exploded. And there were some fisheries biologists that we worked with. Tom Russell. Tom Russell, a good friend of Glenn Chambers. Another guy that I... Quail hunted a lot with was, oh, I'm having trouble coming up with names right now. Anyway. Well, you, you just mentioned rough grouse, and that, that reminds me that while we sit back and celebrate so many successes in restoration efforts, the wild turkey, the white-tailed deer, now we're seeing it in the wild elk, there's still plenty of species that need work. Oh, sure. The rough grouse is one of them, prairie chickens. You know, what, what do you see as possibility for for rough grouse restoration? I think it's very limited. I think it's very limited because of the attitude of many people in the state about tree harvest. They hate to see trees cut. And to have rough grouse in Missouri, you have to have an early generation of tree growth. In other words, it's like starting bare ground all the way up to mature trees and then start over again on all pieces of ground. And in other words, if you had 10,000 acres, you'd be clear-cutting 100 acres. If you had a 100-year rotation, say like just white oak, for example, which is about a 100-year rotation, you would cut 100 acres a year for 100 years. And that would give you the kind of diversity, habitat diversity, that grouse need. They need, an old grouse hunter told me one time, he said, you're not in grouse habitat unless something's hitting you in the face or you're stumbling over something. And they they need pretty dense woods. Of course, we don't have aspen down here, but they, they can survive on grape and bittersweet. 
Desmodium, and there's plenty of food. They could, they could survive on food. But it's just the lack of the cover component. And if left alone in nature, fire, fire, fire would do that, correct? We had grouse. Drury had grouse in certain areas, particularly along the, oh yeah, fire would do that. Because we suppress fire, we suppress habitat regeneration. Yeah, that's right, absolutely, absolutely. What are some other species you think we could address and give a better future to? Well, I'm not sure that there are any right now that we haven't already touched on. I mean, not here, but I mean, the department hasn't. Hadn't really worked on prairie chickens. I worked on prairie chickens for Don Christensen back in the late 50s and went down to southwest Missouri down near Golden City and and uh, Lamar and that part of the world. It wouldn't be anything and I'd see 50 cocks in one field in 1950 and it's all gone now. Yeah, I worked on chickens for Don, and I mean, went down and counted, just counted the cops. I'm not sure they're, they're going to come back. Yeah, I'd like to go see a, a prairie chicken boom. I've, I've not seen that, and I know there's a few places here left in Missouri where that can be done, and uh, especially well, out in Kansas as well. Yeah, done ranches up by Maryville, Missouri, and they're seeming to having a little success up there with them. And talking to Glenn Chambers, he told me a story about Charlie Schwartz coming to his family farm when he was a young boy, and Charlie did a count, and they had 50 prairie chicken cocks per acre at the time. Oh, my. And Glenn cut the corner off of an old milk house and made that his first photo blind and huh. sit there and take pictures of the prairie chickens in the yard. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. So that's a, a lot of heritage there in the in the prairie chicken. I'd love to, I'd love to be able to go see that someday oh. soon. Well, we had some prairie chickens just uh, not too far from here. Go over to Highway 5, go south on Highway 5, down towards, uh, well... Prairie Home? Prairie, well, yeah. And there was an area in there that, uh, this was in the mid-80s, still had prairie chickens. Still had a, a flock of, well, two or three booming grounds. I, can, I don't know whether they're there or not now. Then I grew up in a little town called Macon, which is north of here, about 60 miles. And when my dad and I used to quail hunt out east of Macon, on the kind of flat ground east of Macon, we found prairie chickens there. It's kind of like quail. We've got a real issue with quail. What what are we going to do about trying to get quail back? Yeah, you know, in talking to certain people, they think that we're starting to turn the corner a little bit on quail. You talk to some hunters out in the field, they might disagree with that, but I know... I know a few guys uh, that go out and do pretty well quail hunting on some some MDC conservation areas, and I hope that quail do have a brighter future. I know it's going to be tough with some oh, of the yeah. practices yeah. we have in place today. It all comes down to habitat, right? Sure, sure. Again, it's, it's the progression of evolution. You start out with bare ground on quail, go on through a 10-year period of weeds and grass and then you get into the brush cycle, and then you need more timber, and then you got to start over again for quail. We just don't have a lot of that, and the fields are too big. And what's happened, while well, we have a piece of habitat that has a few quail in it, but it's isolated. 
it's been separated from another patch that has quail in it. So the segmented, uh, segmentation of habitats probably hurt quail as much as anything, which which hurt me because I, I've got a quail dog that's getting old just like I am, and she didn't get a chance to hunt very many quail. Good grouse dog, but not many quail. I remember when I was a boy, and I'd be walking out to my deer stand in the morning by myself, 10, 11, 12 mm-hmm. years old, and nothing scarier than busting a covey of quail in the morning out of a cornfield or <laughs> high weed field. Yeah. I've done a lot of things in the outdoors, but I've never shot a wild quail. You've I'm, never shot a quail? I've, ne- I've never shot a wild quail. I need to do that. Well, I'm not going to tell you how many I've shot, but uh, it it would be to the point where you'd hunt all day to get that last bird, and then I got to the point where I wasn't doing that anymore. It wasn't that important to say you got your limit. If you'd go out and kill two or three birds, shoot two or three birds, or four birds, that's plenty. That's plenty. If you've had good dog work and found a covey of quail, found another covey of quail. But now you can't even find one covey in places that I used to hunt or used to hunt. I haven't hunted quail for 10 years. I shot the last quail that I shot was out here in northeast Missouri on a farm that I'd literally killed several hundred quail on. If you could go anywhere and do one last great hunt, where'd you go and what would you hunt for? Oh, well, you have to keep up with it. You can't, you can't, because habitat changes too fast. That would be one of the areas that I'd look at. For quail? For quail. Yeah. But I mean any species. Anywhere, any species. Any, one last great hunt. Any species anywhere. Anything you should have done that you didn't do or wish you had done more of. Oh, I'd kind of like to have gone to Oregon and shot chuckers and uh, bluegrass. Some of those species that you don't, we don't have back here. I never shot a chucker in the wild. That would that would be one of the spots that I that I would go and hunt. We've only got a few minutes left. I got just a couple more good questions for you. Um, one. CFM recently passed a, a resolution in favor of all-day turkey hunting. In talking to the current turkey biologist, he says there's no scientific reason not to have it. I think a lot of the old-timers are against it, and a lot of my generation and younger are for it. I'd like to hear how you feel about all-day turkey hunting in Missouri and, and why you feel that way. Well, I think originally... We were trying to be conservative when we set the season as we did, just a half a day. Now I would be in agreement. There's no reason why not to hunt all day. The fact is that not many turkeys gobble in the afternoon. I mean, you, you can probably stir some up. And I've hunted in several states where you can hunt in the afternoon, like Arkansas, Mississippi, some of those states. And for some reason, the, the allure about the time of day isn't as great as it is early morning. But anyway, no, I have nothing to say against turkey hunting all day. You're probably going to find out that turkeys being shot in the afternoon are going to be shot over decoys by guys sitting in a fence row someplace. And to me, that isn't turkey hunting. But I, I shouldn't be imposing my sets of priorities on, on anybody else. 
one of the arguments in favor of it is students in, in school are not let out until 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, so it might open up more opportunities for youth to go out and hunt. Well, that's true. It gives you more opportunities. You don't have enough time, basically, in end of mid-October or even in the spring. It starts to get dark. And uh, be quite honest about it, Brandon. I don't have a bit of problem with hunting in the afternoon. It's just not quite like shooting a turkey in the morning. It would be my impression. I fall hunted quite a bit, shot turkeys in the fall, but uh, still not the quality of hunt as it is. Yeah, can you explain the difference between spring and fall hunting? I, I mean, when you look at the harvest numbers, fall is just a little fraction of people actually taking birds. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, first of all, people aren't nearly as interested in it. It takes more effort to be successful in the fall than it does in the spring. I mean, you've got a gobbler that's gobbling. You know there's a turkey there. You go out and look at a piece of woods in the, in the fall, and you don't know whether there's a gobbler or a turkey out there or not. You've got to go look for them. Oh, of course, you can see them running across a cornfield someplace. You know they're there. But I think it takes more effort to shoot a turkey in the fall than it does in the spring. What are the tactics that you would use in the fall to, to be a successful turkey hunter? Well, <laughs> you're talking to a guy that hasn't really shot that many turkeys in the fall. I've broken up a bunch of flocks. Even in Pennsylvania, I've, I've broken up flocks, and, and you just have to wait them out. You go and shoot, shoot a flock of turkeys, shoot at a flock of turkeys to break them up, and then somewhere in that vicinity, sit down and wait, and you may wait all day. But they'll oftentimes come back to that spot. You can go out and call. I've, I, the first spring, the first fall turkey season we had was in 1978. And I was in Iron County. Didn't know anything about fall turkey hunting at all. And called up a whole flock of turkeys. <laughs> there was a gobbler in there. Apparently been doing a little gobbling. It was a Jake. And I missed him. I picked him out, and I missed him. Well, the whole bunch just flew everywhere. Well, the buddy that I was hunting with ended up shooting a turkey right away after the birds started coming, calling back. And uh, so it took me uh, quite a while later. I shot that. I don't know if it was the same Jake or not, but he was coming back to the same spot. <laughs> so he got shot afterwards. Yeah, I don't fall turkey hunt nearly as much, I think, because I'm busy deer hunting. I really look forward to spring and, and turkeys in the spring, but I definitely keep a tag in my pocket, and if the yeah. opportunity arises. But now that I've got this place down in Shannon County, oh, yeah. I think I'm going to start doing a lot more fall turkey hunting and looking forward to busting up some flocks and trying to sit one out. We had a commission a commissioner that was opposing the fall turkey season, and he said, we've already got too many things to hunt in the fall. Why confuse it with adding turkeys to it? So that was kind of an attitude some of the commissioners had back, oh, this was back in the mid-70s before we got a fall season. But one of the commissioners by the name of Andy Runge, Runge Center's named after him, changed that. He, he, got, he got swung around. As a matter of fact, he asked me. He asked me because he wanted to go grouse hunting 
And I took him grouse hunting. Well, I took him with the group of guys that we, we had been going to Sandstone, Minnesota. He enjoyed that, and he then wanted to know about the grouse in Missouri, and I took him down to the Boone area where we had pretty good survival on the grouse that we received from Indiana. We heard some grouse, and he was excited about that. He was the one that was responsible for the fall season as early as it was. I mean, we could have probably waited another three or four years before we got it. Well, I will be up at Lake of the Woods, Minnesota, next week, and I've got at least two days of grouse hunting coming up. So if I can draw down on one swinging through the aspens, I'll think of you. I'll be jealous. I'm jealous. (laughs) Oh, we had great grouse trips up there. Sandstone, Minnesota, you well, it's about 60 miles south of Duluth on Highway 35, just off of 35. But Pine County is when we were hunting up there, starting about 68. Oh my gosh, I was right up in there in that neck of the woods just a couple of years ago. And funny story, I was with a couple guys from Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. And- when you're a guest, you try to pay attention to what your hosts are doing. And I looked around to see if anybody had loaded their gun, and nobody had when we'd left the vehicle. So I didn't load mine. And we were walking out to the woods to start rough grouse hunting. And sure enough, we weren't probably 20 yards from the vehicles, and a sharp tail jumped up. It's one of the few areas up there where they're actually trying to restore sharp tails. And Mark Hewig, the editor of the Quail Forever magazine, just raised up as quick as day and laid that bird down. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, man. Like, who's the guest and who's the host here? Aren't yeah. we supposed to get first shot? But they never said load up, so we didn't. And, but that sure. was a great day. We got the one Sharpie and then a number of rough grouse. I've got one at a taxidermist. It's been two years. I don't know if I'll ever see that bird again. <laughs> uh, and we shot some woodcock, and it was a fun hunt. Yeah. So I've yeah. only done it the once, and I can't wait to get up there next week and do it again. But, John, we're over an hour, and I know we could go on and on and on, but we try to keep these things pretty close to that amount of time. So just want to ask you one last question, and that's, you know, what's your proudest accomplishment? What is it that you hope you're remembered for? <laughs> well... I was a part of a, a group of people that were responsible for bringing wild turkeys back to Missouri. I was just a part of that. And that's all I want to remember for. I had an important role in kind of helping start the seasons, but in terms of bringing turkeys back, I was just a part of it. Well, as a guy who chases them all spring and part of the fall, and I'm passing it on to my daughters, and I'm going to pass it on to my grandchildren. I just want to say thanks for what you did. It's made our state that much better. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome.